The American Royal is the nation's highest caliber livestock show, providing a premier experience for exhibitors. Rooted in their legacy, which began in 1899, they're committed to providing a platform for competition, scholarships, and education. A Kansas City tradition, the American Royal is focused on creating an environment where all feel welcome, where agriculture is elevated, and champions are crowned. The American Royal is currently celebrating its 123rd year and looking forward to hosting exhibitors from October 6th to 23rd, right in Kansas City, Missouri. If you're interested in showing, be sure to check out their website for more information regarding entry information and deadlines. www.americanroyal.com That's www.americanroyal.com Or follow the link in the show notes. Entries are due September 10th. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is Vice President of Public Policy for the National Corn Growers Association, where she works in concert with the board and leadership to develop and implement the organization's policy priorities and manages all outreach to Congress, the administration, and government agencies. She's been um, invited to speak at this year's Women in Agribusiness Summit, and that's in Dallas, September 26th to 28th. The mission of Women in Agribusiness is to highlight the expertise of women in food and agribusiness and help them build a network of female leaders. From Washington, D.C., I would like to welcome Brooke Appleton. Welcome, Brooke, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your background. You do come from a farming background, correct? I do, yes. Uh, I grew up on a row crop and a beef cattle farm in the northwest corner of uh, Missouri, And I found my way to Washington right out of college uh, almost 20 years ago, not quite, 16, 17 years ago. So um, I'm currently, as you mentioned, serving as vice president of public policy for the National Corn Growers Association. I've worked um, in advocacy and policy issues for my entire time here in Washington, Um, served in different roles um, on Capitol Hill, at USDA. And now, uh, of course, in the commodity world with the National Pork Growers Association. Wow. Well, thank you for your service to the industry. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. Washington is a really fun place to be. I know we get a lot of slack uh, for, for being dysfunctional, but um, it really is where all the action is. So if you're interested in policy, it's kind of the place to be. Right. Yeah. And so give me a, uh, some background on the Corn Growers Association and what their role is in Washington, really. Sure, absolutely. So the National Corn Growers Association was actually founded in 1957. Um, We represent nearly 40,000 dues-paying corn farmers nationwide, and the interests of more than 300,000 growers who contribute through their state corn checkoff programs. Um, NCGA and and its 50 affiliated state associations and checkoff organizations work together to kind of create and increase opportunities for their membership and their industry, our industry, corn industry. Um, I work with NCGA's board and leadership to kind of develop and implement the organization's policy priorities and manage all the outreach to Congress, the administration, and, and government agencies here in Washington. We have roughly 10 staff members here in D.C. working on policy and advocating on NCGA's behalf here in the Washington office. Great. That's a lot. And the the Women in Agribusiness Summit, as I mentioned before, is coming up next month, September 26th to 28th in Dallas. And you've been asked to speak at the summit. And uh, your topic is the 2023 Farm Bill. Can you give me some background on Farm Bill? 
the Farm Bill itself and its history over the last 35 or so years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm excited to be attending the Women in Agribusiness Summit. This will be my first time um, with the event. So I'm really looking forward to it uh, and, and kind of seeing it in its full capacity and all that it has to offer. Um, from a Farm Bill perspective, so overall, the Farm Bill is a multi-year law that governs an array of agriculture and food programs ranging from domestic commodity programs to ag research and even trade promotion programs. Um, the Farm Bill is typically reauthorized and passed about every five years. Um, and since the 1930s, we've had 18 Farm Bills that have been enacted with the most recent in 2018 and 2014. So a lot of times in D.C. ag policy circles, people often measure their careers by how many Farm Bills we've worked on. And this will be my ex Farm Bill. Um, so for me, this will be my fourth farm bill Wow! that I've worked on in, in various capacities since I've been here in Washington. But we definitely have people around, including my boss. I believe this will be the seventh that he's been involved really? in. So wow. uh, you, you get some D.C. veterans who've been around a while who've kind of seen it, seen it all, if you will. I um, guess. But just real quickly, importantly, I think for corn growers, the Farm Bill governs USDA, including kind of the farm safety net agencies and their programs, which are the kind of the forward facing agencies that our farmers deal with the most out of USDA. So um, the Farm Service Agency, the Risk Management Agency and the Natural Resources Conservation Service are kind of three places where um, the Farm Bill kind of it um, governs all the programs that are run from those three agencies within USDA that are really important to our growers. Yeah. And uh, what are some key points that you think will be covered in the, the 2023 Farm Bill? And also considering it could change drastically um, between now and when it's passed. Yes, absolutely. So while the House and the Senate Agriculture Committees are still in listening mode um, right now, they're kind of doing field hearings and oversight hearings. There definitely have been items that have kind of already risen to the surface. Um, the farm economy is very different than in 2018 when the last bill was passed, and that always kind of affects uh, how you know how we view um, policy here in Washington. While commodity prices are higher, so are input costs, and the market is more volatile. So that's something we'll definitely be dealing with. Um, we have also gone through a period of ad hoc programs in response to trade wars and widespread natural disasters, and of course, COVID, which has affected everyone. Um, Congress will have to kind of listen to stakeholders, which is what they're kind of doing now, and they will continue to do, and, you know, talking about what has gone well with the current Farm Bill and, and ways that USDA programs and policies can be improved, um, kind of building off of the experiences over the last five years in the current legislation. So I think the focus may very well be on the high input costs, inflation, and kind of the needed tools to respond to the, to the conflict in the Ukraine and Russia. So I think one positive is that commodity groups kind of continue to remain on the same page uh, on our top priority, and that is that crop insurance is really a critical risk management tool um, to use in response to all disasters, and it will kind of continue to be our, our top priority um, as we work our way through what will hopefully be the 2023 Farm Bill. Right, that's good. And uh, we very well, very well may see the House flip in November. What kind of impact will the elections have over the evolution of the bill over the next few months? Yeah, that one really can really change the landscape pretty quick, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, historically, the Senate and the House Agriculture Committees have largely put partisanship aside and worked together on behalf of farmers, which is really great to see. 
Um, something that we did recently uh, during our kind of annual fly-in here in Washington is I hosted a discussion, um, a farm bill panel, if you will, and we had uh, former Senator Heidi Heitkamp was on that panel. Um, she is the former senator from North Dakota, and she served on the Senate Ag Committee. Um, and she said the key to legislative success on the farm bill is for growers to extend their influence by working with people and groups from outside of ag production. And she's absolutely right. Um, yeah, I mean, she used food security as an example, um, mm -hmm. noting that increasingly members on the House and Senate Agriculture Committees are prioritizing domestic and international food security. Um, so she talked about, you know, to be successful, and she said specifically for corn growers are going to have to build relationships with members of Congress who focus on, you know, the, the nutrition side and the supplemental nutrition assistant program that is a big part of the farm bill. Um, and I think she made some really uh, in, insightful points there. Uh, and she made one comment that kind of stuck with me is that, you know, not every member of Congress represents a farmer, but every senator does because they represent the entire state, right? So I think mm -hmm. um, finding that common ground, uh, particularly on the Senate side with making that rural connection, I think will be important. Um, I think my staff and, and I, or my team, as I like to say, we work very hard to develop relationships on both sides of the aisle and to communicate the value of our positions in a way that appeals with a variety of policy interests. And I just think that's so important. So whether it's a Republican-controlled Congress or a Democrat-controlled Congress, we have a story to tell and we think it will resonate with everyone. And I really feel like that's how you get things done in Washington. You have to kind of work across party lines and, and find common ground. That's right. And and nothing is greater than food security, especially since both sides eat. <laughs> so yeah. it should be an easy one to to try to get together on, right? Yeah, we hope mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not always easier said than done, right? Um, yeah. And I listen... Obviously, I ask a lot of questions and and I hear a lot of um listen to both sides as well, just in my day-to-day -day life and doing this. And um listening to all sides of the conversation, I'm hearing on one side that not as enough, not enough is being done for conservation and climate. And on the other side, I'm hearing that too much is being regulated in those areas. And producers are feeling that the overregulation is going to make their lives more difficult and harder to produce food, essentially. So what's your opinion on this balance? Yeah, I think you're really picking up on kind of a key question uh, as we head into the next farm bill. Um, you know, what is the focus of the committee? And I think, I guess it will depend on, you know, what is the focus of the committee leadership? Is climate and conservation top of their priority list or will it be more the producer risk management side? Um, you know, some could argue that it's possible to tackle both in a bipartisan manner, um, but we're seeing some early lines drawn in the sand around climate um, but I mean, I think it's still far too early to tell what the implications will be if the budget reconciliation bill that's kind of being discussed in Congress right now is passed and signed into law, kind of potentially unlocking some additional funds for conservation programs and climate smart practices. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's to be determined if that finds its way through Congress or they're going to be hopefully debating it in the Senate here in a couple of days. Um, but to your point, while overregulation is an important hurdle for ag producers, kind of addressing the issues through a farm bill has been historically difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so most of agriculture's issues are, uh, those issues are with the EPA, which primarily falls in jurisdiction kind of outside the ag committee. So some of these more regulatory pieces we've tried to address through farm bills, but, but 
because of the jurisdictional issues can be challenging. Yeah, that makes sense. And what are the National Corn Growers Association's top priorities for this bill? Yeah, so we have quite a process that we work through, and I know all commodity groups do. Um, We really rely on input from grower members, our grower members, state associations, and the grower-led action teams um, that that we uh, operate in kind of developing our federal policy positions. So corn growers have identified the top principles as as Congress begins to develop. And these are kind of broader strokes, if you will. And we're kind of filling in, working on our doing our homework to kind of fill in the specifics. Um, But number one, as I mentioned, will continue to be to protect crop insurance. It is the most vital risk management tool for our growers. Um, We also want to continue to bolster the U.S. international market development efforts. We've got a couple programs within the Farm Bill that are very important to that international trade piece um, for corn. And really, that's just about moving more corn, right? Uh, More markets is a good thing and and getting moving more corn. So um, we want to make sure we kind of focus there. Also, just strengthening that producer safety net. So um, not only through crop insurance, but through the Title I farm programs, um, is going to be important. And then, you know, we want to just kind of continue to, to support those voluntary conservation practices, which, you know, we really have found over the years that have been really vital and important to our growers kind of business plans, if you will. But keeping those voluntary, keeping those incentive based, um, I think will be an important part of kind of this next farm bill debate. And that's kind of a broad strokes of where we are for priorities. Yeah, great points too. And with all of the issues today, increasing food and input prices, the market volatility, the civil unrest around the globe, they're all impacting the production and distribution of food. So, you know, it's hard to know which way to turn, but what opportunities exist in ag that the government should be focused on um, going forward in 2023? Well, we know fuel prices are extremely high. We know that's impacting farmers' input costs than all consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, corn growers produce a product that saves consumers money at the pump while realizing significant environmental benefits. Um, so we've seen across the board that ethanol is a dollar per gallon less than unblended gasoline at wholesale. Uh, and drivers are saving 30 to 40 cents or more per gallon where retailers offer, offer fuel with a 15% ethanol blend or E15 as we call it. Um, So there are obstacles in the way of offering year-round access to higher levels of ethanol. Um, Long-term, NCGA is advocating for consumer access to higher blends to expand their choice and, again, lower the cost and also cutting back on greenhouse gas emissions, which is important. Um, So we've been, you know, kind of kicking around a lot of different ideas and we've, we've had some legislation introduced in Congress called the Next Generation Fuels Act, which is a bill that is pending in the House and the Senate, um, which would really achieve these goals through advanced fuels and vehicles and, you know, allow the sale of higher blends of ethanol, which which we really think would be, um, you know, to your point of the market volatility um, would, would really help in that regard. So ethanol is always kind of a, a top priority at the National Corn Growers Association and something that's always top of mind. Yeah, good points. And how can people get involved? You said to, you know, make sure your voice is heard with your your local government um, and your, your state representatives. Um, what else can people do? So we do a regular alerts on issues that are important to farmers. So if you're a member of your local corn grower association or 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 not, but if you are and you're get, you definitely can get these alerts, which 
we will call upon you to kind of um, contact your member of Congress and, and press on a, uh, an issue at hand that's maybe what I like to call a live issue, um, something that's, that's kind of currently being debated and considered in Congress. So we will be doing these calls to action as the farm bill is updated. Great. So you sign up for these updates. Um, you can text. Actually, we have a couple of ways. You can do it on our website at ncga.com, or you can also text GROW, uh, the word GROW, to 50457. Uh, and again, that will um, opt you into our text messaging service, and you'll get an alert whenever we do one of these calls to action. Um, you can um, also kind of sign up for our newsletters. That, that's on our website as well. And we just that's how we update our broader membership. Um, we also, you know, it's getting involved at the local level. And of course, we'd love to have your involvement with local corn grower groups. But, you know, there's a lot of good um, ag advocacy groups out there that, that can help provide information and then just kind of keep you keep you more informed about what's going on in Washington and how that will affect your business. Great. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes as well. And, and that number, that's a, that's a great resource. Everybody has a phone and can text. So yes. can receive yeah. text. that's great. To be pretty effective. So. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And then back to Women in Agribusiness Summit. Why are events and organizations like this so important? Yeah, I mean, I think a summit like this uh, definitely important because it brings people from different backgrounds in agriculture together to talk about common concerns and to share ideas with each other. And, you know, that cross-pollination, in my opinion, is really invaluable. So, Again, I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time in the commodity world working with other trade associations. And of course, we have a really good relationship with our ag industry partners. Um, but for me, I think I'm just looking to expand that network and kind of see see all the various people that are represented at, at this conference. And it looks like a great lineup. So um, yeah, I think just bringing everyone together at the same time. And you, you, know, you, you always learn a lot. You think you kind of know, but I'm always feel it, walk away from stuff like this, just surprised just about how vast and um, yeah, how vast the, the ag industry is. I agree. And I'm excited. I'll be there too. So hopefully we get to run into each other there. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I have one last question for you. Sure. Why do you serve the ag industry? What's your greatest passion? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I mentioned I, I grew up on a farm uh, in an area, of course, where agriculture was such an important important part of not only the economy, but kind of the way of life. Um, so I do think it comes for me a little bit more naturally, although we've got a lot of great people who work in agriculture who don't necessarily have ag backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely seen kind of firsthand how policy out of Washington can either, either burden or help family farms. Um, and and so I think just, you know, having that ability to, to influence how policy is crafted um, and I get to kind of pair the experience I had growing up um, with my, you know, ag- advocacy and policy skills and affect change for farmers. I mean, I think that that's just kind of crazy. It's kind of two worlds colliding. Um, I have great conversations with my dad on a regular basis about kind of what he's dealing with and the decisions he's making on his farm. and. Um, it's just, it's, it's kind of good to have that, uh, be able to kind of have that personal understanding. Um, but yeah, I think that that just makes me passionate, even more passionate about this job. Um, and, and just understanding too, I think after living in Washington for almost 20 years, you know, having that rural background and growing up, that's really an asset in my opinion, understanding 
that way of of life and living and, and what it, what it's like in these small rural communities. That's not something that everyone walks around having. So um, I found it to be very useful for me <laughs> uh, and just kind of having that understanding. Yeah, that's great. And I agree that's there should be more people with farm background in Washington for sure. <laughs> I think that might help too. We'll take yeah, up. That's great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brooke, um, for joining me today. Uh, it was a great conversation and looking forward to the summit too. Yes, me too. Well, thanks so much for having me. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, the links are provided in the show notes. You can register and learn more about um, the summit at www.womeninag.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our North American Egg Spotlight YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or Eggfuse channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the ag brands you love and the ag brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com. Available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy... You can bid with confidence, no buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.